Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 4. This is Lesson 1 of Part 4, and uh, Part 4, the theme of Part 4 is Living the Crucified Life. Living the Crucified Life. And in Lesson 1, we are going to discuss uh, being crucified with Christ. Uh, I, we have talked about this off and on in parts one, two, and three, but we are focusing in part four specifically on what it means to be crucified with Christ and how we are crucified with Christ so that we can understand the work of the Spirit in our lives through Whatever means God chooses, and we and that we might be able to discern when the Lord is working in our lives for us to be crucified with Him. So, how is being crucified with Christ accomplished? Uh, as stated in the conclusion of the last lesson of Part Three of this series, the most important goal for any seeker of God is for the motives of Christ to be formed in them. But how is this accomplished? As already has been stated, it's accomplished by us being crucified with Christ. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he added this statement. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What do you mean by that? He meant that it is the grace of God that empowers us to submit ourselves to death, even the death of being crucified with Christ. Just like Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, that even though he was he was in the form of God. He submitted himself unto death, and not just dying, but unto the death of the cross. And Hebrews 9.14 tells us he did that by the Spirit. By the Spirit, by the eternal Spirit, he offered himself without spot to God. So we cannot do this except by the grace of God. The grace of God is empowering us to do what we cannot do through our human ability. And so what is it he was not doing? He was not attempting to earn the righteousness righteousness by his own efforts because that frustrates the grace of God. When we are trying to earn or deserve God's love, God's righteousness, uh, God's approval, we are frustrating the grace of God because the grace of God is empowers us According to Philippians 2.13, first to will and to do of his good pleasure so that God gets all the credit and glory for what is done in, by, and through us in the name of Jesus. So in order to have this pure motive, in order to be what the Lord wants us to be, we have to reach the place where The cross does its second work in us, as we taught in the last part, in several places in the last part. We have to let Christ, the second work of the cross, work in us to 
to cause us to die out to ourselves. It's one thing to die out to sin in, uh, in being in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we repent, we're buried with him in baptism, and we're resurrected with him in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's one thing. But it's another thing for the cross to help us to die out to our will, to ourselves, to our way, to our dreams, to our ambitions, to our glory. Jesus' name. The question is, how does this happen? The complication is that under that the Bible labeled crucifixion murder. We'll read verses in a few minutes where the Bible specifically states that when they crucified Christ, it they killed him. They murdered him. And God is not a murderer. God's not a murderer. So uh he cannot directly uh crucify us. God did not directly crucify Jesus. And so therefore, uh, Jesus did not crucify himself. And any more than Jesus crucified himself, we cannot crucify ourselves. If Jesus could not crucify himself, then we cannot crucify ourselves. Because if crucifixion is murder, then if we crucified ourselves, it would be suicide in principle. So we cannot do this. Uh, so what is necessary? Just like it was in the crucifixion of Jesus, so it is in our lives. There must be something or someone else that does the actual uh, work and act of crucifixion. And what Jesus did was he submitted to that crucifixion. And what the grace of God desires to do in our lives and desires for us to let him do is enable us to submit to crucifixion. We cannot crucify ourselves. We cannot crucify ourselves. Therefore, in order for Christ to be crucified and then for us to be crucified, there must be agents of our crucifixion. There must be agents of our crucifixion. Uh, let, let me define for you what an agent is. An agent uh, is, by definition, according to Webster's, a person or thing that, imp- that performs an action or brings about a certain result or that is able to do so. Or an agent is a person, firm, etc., empowered to act for another. But the word empower has as one of its definition to permit. Not enable, but to permit. So God wasn't the power behind uh, the, the dunamis, the, 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 the strength or the, the, the one create, doing the action. He was the one permitting the action. And so since nothing can be done without his permission in our lives or in the life of Christ, then he had to have those that he would permit to act and accomplish these things. So therefore, there were agents of crucifixion in the, in the uh, crucifixion of Christ. There were those who God allowed, permitted to take the life of Christ. 
and in our lives, that nothing bad can happen to us and nothing good that God doesn't call good, but man would call good, can happen to us without it being permitted. Now, there are some things that God does for us himself because they're good things by his definition. But then there are things that aren't good for us uh, from uh, our own standpoint and uh, uh, good things that aren't good from God's perspective. And then there are things that are not good uh, to us but that God permits these things as tests to us, as tests. Uh, and so these tests and trials become the agents of our crucifixion. Often our failure to recognize these agents that God has permitted to do these things to us has caused us to resist the undeserved work of God in our lives for our good. And that's caused us to resist these things, to resent them. Why would God allow this to happen? Why, why, why? Why is this happening to me? And some, I, I have heard this exact statement out of people's mouths. After all I've done for God, why would he let this happen to me? Well, that proves a very shallow lack of understanding of the word of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God, the love of God. That statement, that attitude, that spirit shows that a very immature, spiritually immature understanding of God and the ways of God. He said his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts, as high as the heavens are above the earth. I believe that's Isaiah 55. And so therefore, <laughs> uh, his purposes are above our purposes. His designs are above our designs. His methods are above our methods. And so his wisdom is above our wisdom. His understanding and knowledge are above ours. So therefore, because we don't understand what he's doing and why he's doing it, and sometimes we don't recognize that he's behind it, we resent him letting it happen. Frequently, we have given the devil the credit for something that originated in God's counsel. It originated with God. It didn't originate with the devil. God brought it up and gave the devil permission, but the devil did it because God can't do evil. He's not a liar. He's not a murderer, but he has a plan and a purpose. So, the scripture says, uh, Isaiah, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 26, And the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together, and they didn't even know this. They gathered for their purposes. But by God's permission... They gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. That's why in Revelation 5 it says that Christ was slain, was the Lamb of God who was slain 
before the foundation of the world. Actually, I think that's Revelation 16. But it's talked about in Revelation 5 also. So he is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. No, he wasn't. He was slain 2,000 years ago. No. In the mind and the plan and the purpose of God, he had to be slain. He had to take the penalty for our sins upon himself and die in our place so that he could give us his righteousness, so that he could save us. And without him doing that, he could not save us. So in the plan of God, in the mind of God, according to the purpose and counsel of God, he was slain before the foundation of the world, before anything came into existence. In the plan of God, Logos became flesh, and that flesh died as a substitutionary sacrifice for those he would create. And he would create us with a will of our own. And he did that so he could redeem us from our wrong choices. That's how much he loved us. That's how much he loved us. The work of crucifixion and the circumstances which accomplish it may seem to have Satan's signature on it, but he can do nothing without God's permission, as was clearly the case as demonstrated in the situation with Job. Job chapter 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, uh, I, the scripture earlier says, and uh the sons of God came before the throne of God and Satan came with them. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 8 of Job 1, Hast thou considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him? and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the hand, in the land. But put forth thou now, but put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. So, where you been, Lucifer? I've been going through to and fro throughout the earth. And he, he didn't have to say it because he knew God knew it. Stirred up whatever trouble I can, causing whatever problems for you I can. And he said, have you considered my servant Job? He's perfect and upright. Fears God and avoids evil. Job said, or Satan says, I, I don't even worry about Job. I don't bother with him. You got to hedge about him. I can't touch him. But you let me touch him and I'll show you that he's not serving you for nothing. He's serving you for what he can get out of it. Motive. So Satan was accusing Job of having a wrong motive for serving God. And what is a wrong motive? What you can get out of it. And he was accusing Job and said that if you let me touch Job, touch his life, I'll show you what his motive really is because he will get upset with you if you take what he has. And notice carefully. Verse 12, and the Lord said unto Satan, behold, all that thou, that he hath is in thy power only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And might I add immediately because he had, he had an opening. He has not had, 
He had permission to do something had been forbidden him to do. And we know, of course, from Scripture that when he touched Job, took all of his possessions and took all ten of his children, seven sons and three daughters, in one accident, in one at one moment, he took all of that from Job. Job proved his motive was pure. He said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I came into this world naked and I'm going out naked. And then the Lord says to Job, uh, Satan, uh, how's it going? Ah, well, you know, you didn't let me go far enough. You let me touch him, his person and he'll curse you. The Lord said, do what you want, but you can't take his life. See the, see the limitations? Here's permission, but limitation. Why? Because the Lord was accomplishing his purpose in the life of Job through this testing. Severe testing it was, but it was the love of God working in Job's life. So the first time he couldn't touch Job, he could only take his stuff. And Job said, Lord giveth the Lord, taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I came, came to the world naked, I'm going out naked. In other words, my body, I, I, I've got me. Well, the next time Lucifer, Satan touched him, he covered him with boils from head to toe. He couldn't take his life, but he made his life as miserable as it was possible to be every moment of the day. I've had one bad boil on my body. It was right on my knee. And it was just a few weeks before I got married. And the doctor had to lance it and pull that core out, which was about the size of my little finger down to the second knuckle. And that was very painful. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I can't imagine having those all over your body. And Job's wife says, you're so miserable. Your life is so horrible. Why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, you speak like a foolish woman. Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? He ultimately knew that God had permitted this. And he didn't charge God foolishly, the scripture says. And with his mouth, he did not charge God foolishly. When he said he wasn't calling his wife a fool, he was referring to the principle of the scripture says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So he was saying to her, when you tell me to curse God and die, you're speaking like those that don't believe there is a God. I know there's a God. There's going to be accountability. And whatever this test is about, he has the right to do it because uh, he's given me good and I praised him. Am I not going to praise him now in this bad time? That's the test, you see. That's the test. So God is working in us, and but he does it, does those bad things by agents of crucifixion because he's a good God, and he can't directly do that. So again, for our crucifixion to take place, there must be a crucifier other than our God and or ourselves. There must be an agent of crucifixion. We have a promise with God. 
about everything in our lives. And that promise is the Lord has promised that all things work together for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose in allowing these things to happen to us? Next verse, Romans 8, 29. Uh, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. This word conform means to, tra- to, to work, to transform, to fashion, to mold, to make into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Them he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. This is what God is doing in our lives. Listen to what we says, how we translate this verse. And we expand a translation of the New Testament. And we know that with an absolute knowledge, that's how much confidence Paul had in God is telling us to have in God. And we know with an absolute knowledge that those for, for those who are loving God, all things are working together resulting in good for those who are divinely summoned ones according to his purpose. Because those whom he foreordained, he also marked out beforehand as those who were to be conformed to the derived image of his son with the result that he is the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, those whom he thus marked out beforehand, these he also summoned, and those whom he summoned, these he also justified. Moreover, those whom he justified, these he also glorified. The word work together there, that all things would work together for good, means to be a fellow worker, to cooperate together. And uh, that's according to Strong Stayer says it means to put forth power together with and thereby to assist. So all of the events in the life of a believer are coordinated together by our Father to benefit both us and his kingdom. Now, of course, benefit by his definition and not ours. So whatever he allows us to go through, he he, he has our eternal our eternal destiny and our is eternal plan for us in mind when he calls it good here in this life not so much maybe but i want you to hear this again our god our god loves us so much that he has that our comfort and our convenience and our Temporal happiness is not near of concern to him as his plan, his purpose, and our place in him and his plan and purpose. Now, I've got to know that God loves me enough, so much, that that's okay with me. That that's okay with me. So God does all of these things to cause us to be conformed into the image of his son. Because he's called us to be like him. The word conform means to be jointly formed, figuratively similar. According to Strong, Stayer says it means having the same form as another, similar, conformed to. So all the things that the father permits to happen to us 
in molding and shaping us into the form or after the pattern of the Son of God so that he can use us to do the same things that the Son of God did while he ministered on the earth. Now, that's a mouthful. But here's the, here's, this is the point. He did these things to the man Christ Jesus so that he would fully be all that he was intended to be. And that is the manifestation of the I am infinite. I am God, the father to the world. Now we are the body of Christ and we are members in particular of that body. And collectively, we are the body of Christ. Individually, we are sons of God. So Christ was both, both the, the, uh, the Christ and the son of God. And we are collectively the body of Christ. And individually, we are sons of God. And there are two different dimensions of his purpose in those things. But God is conforming us into being the body of Christ and conforming us into the image of his son so that as members in particular of that body, we can fulfill his purpose. Some of the most amazing words in all of the scripture are found here in 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 19. But in this context of this point right here, it's specifically verse 17. Verse 16, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, present tense, so are we, present tense, in this world. Now, I don't even pretend to have a, a the small, but a very small comprehension of the fullness of what that means. But I know one thing, I believe what it says, and I am willing by the grace of God for the Lord Jesus Christ by his spirit to do whatever in my life so that he can work in me and on me and then through me for me to be a part of the body of Christ in the earth that's fully manifesting the father to this world and that I individually might fulfill my place in that plan and in that body. I'm willing for that to take place. And Paul, John continued, there is therefore now, there, there is the, no, uh, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect to love. We love him because he first loved us. And how much did he love us? He's not only made us a part of his bride, he's made us a part of the body of Christ. He's made us his son. All of us individually, male or female, are sons of God. All of us collectively, male or female, are a part of the bride of Christ. And in function, all of us individually are members in particular of the body of Christ. So God's purpose, God's purpose is to get us to the place by his working in our lives so that he can fulfill his plan and purpose through us. And to do that, we have to be prepared, molded, shaped, equipped, grown in him, in the grace and 
of God in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that we become fully what God would have us to be in him. The purpose of being crucified with Christ then is to prepare us as a vessel, a conduit of God for him to be able to use us for the purposes of his kingdom in the earth and for our place in his plan in eternity. Now, are you still living for God just to be saved, just to not go to hell? Is that still where, are you still where you got in? Initially, all of us got in because we want to be saved. We don't want to be lost. That's the, That was our the, the initial motivation for getting saved. I don't want to go to hell. But if that's where you still are, then you're really endangering what your motive is because you can't stay saved by staying like you were when you first got saved. God is growing you, molding you and I, making you and I to bring us into a mature place in him. That's why God is not near as concerned about growing churches as he is about growing people. And if we submit to him to be grown in him, then he will be able to grow his church. He will be able to build his church. He will be able to give increase. He'll be able to do that. All of this is based upon believing that God loves us. All of us is based upon that. So I, I want to read those verses I just read to you in the uh, fullness of the context. John chapter uh, or, uh, and, 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 and Jesus speaking about us as he is, so are we in this world. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth or satisfies us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He's not talking about the resemblance of the Son to the Father. He's talking about the fact that the, that, that the Father is invisible and will always be invisible. And the only way we will ever see God is in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, because he is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus said to Peter, uh, to Philip, when you see me, this is the only way you're ever going to see the Father, because no man comes unto the Father but by me, he said in verse 6. So again, verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. The words and work, the words I speak and the words I, the words I speak and the works I do, they are the proof the Father's in me. If you're not going to believe me telling you the Father's in me and I'm in the Father, then observe the works. Listen to the words. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, shall he do because I go to my Father. In other words, I am the Son of God. 
I am Christ, but I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing now, but I'm going to my father. And as his visible image and represent, representation and manifestation for all of t- eternity, you are going to become Christ on earth as a part of my body. And the works that I've done here while I was on earth, you're going to do these same works also because as he is, so are we in this world. John said in 1 John chapter 4. Why? Because he has worked to make us in to the image of his son. So in concluding the, the verses I choose to read here or feel to read, verse 13 or verse 12 again, verily, verily, I say unto you, and I'm going to read verse 11 again. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Why? Because it is the Father in me, and when you ask the Father, he is going to do what you ask, because it is the Father in me doing these things now. By being crucified with Christ, both the life of Christ and the faith of Christ will be manifested through us to this world. Galatians 2.20 again, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, how is Christ's crucifixion accomplished in us? By God's agents of crucifixion. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that the spirit of grace would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your and my understanding might be enlightened, that we might know him, know his plan, know his purpose, and know our place in him, and be able to trust him, trust his love for us as he allows the agents of crucifixion to work in our life. We're going to be more specific in explaining what these agents are in the following lessons. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.